Hey, this is uh, Frontside Podcast, episode 23, I believe. 22. Um, 22. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're, uh, we're here with uh, myself, with Brandon, with Stanley, and with uh, Luke Melia. So welcome, guys. Thanks. Great to be here. I've been wanting to be on this podcast for days. <laughs> for, literally, for literally 48 hours. <laughs> we're, we're fast movers over here. <laughs> Ever since you begged me and came crawling. No, like, what was it that you tweeted, uh, like, on Saturday? Uh, yeah, this is a life goal come true for me. <laughs> this is the world's most achievable uh, bucket list. It's like, I, I want an egg salad sandwich. I want to be on the Frontside podcast. I want a glass of orange juice. And then, you know, I don't know where you go from there. You've achieved all, all dreams that a person could hopefully dream of. You got to have stretch goals, but you also have to have goals that give you some positive feedback, right? Yeah. <laughs> So welcome. Yeah, we're really glad you're here. Um, you do a lot of interesting stuff in the Ember community. Stanley Stanley talks about you as like, you're like the fifth Beatle of the Ember core team. You're like the George <laughs> Martin of the Ember core team where where you're not on the Ember core team, but I don't know that they could do what they do without you. And take that for what you will. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hanging around for a while. That's that's uh, goes for a lot, you know, accounts for a lot of it. We How long is a while? Well, what happened was when we started, I started um, this company, Yap, and uh, the only thing that I knew in the beginning from a tech perspective was that I wanted a really um, engaging, responsive kind of user experience for our editor. And at the time, so this is uh, like mid-2011, I kind of went around and looked at my options and saw Cappuccino, Sproutcore, Backbone, did a little bit of research, um, rashly chose one of them, uh, <laughs> and that one was Sproutcore. And so you started to get the hang of Sproutcore. Um, Chris Selden joined joined us at the company. Chris and I have worked together in, uh, pre- at a previous company before, and we started to kind of get the hang of Sproutcore. It was actually got ourselves into a pretty rough jam until we discovered state charts. And then that that provided a, a really great structure. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, state charts, it's kind of the predecessor to the Ember router um, conceptually. And then so from that, at that point, we kind of got the editor going and had to turn our attention to mobile. And the first tool that we reached for was jQuery mobile. And that was a huge mistake. Um, <laughs> took us about 10 days, maybe seven days to say like, okay, we, we need to find something else. And there was this burgeoning project that had um, been just underway for a couple of months called Sproutcore 2. Um, and Sproutcore 2 was being developed uh, by some folks at Strobe, Yehuda Katz and Tom Dale, um, with some help from Charles Jolly, who wrote the, the original author of Sproutcore 1, I believe. Uh, and so we said, well, Sproutcore 2 is supposed to have lower memory footprint, more modular. It sounds perfect for mobile. Let's use that. Uh, and that was, so it's, to, so to your answer, to answer your question, that's how early it was. It was kind of, um, early days of Sproutcore 2 when, um, when we started getting involved in the, what has now become the Amber community and a, an awesome worldwide phenomenon. <laughs> so wow. yeah, such as it is, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. so pro tip from everybody out there, just be old and, uh, <laughs> That's really the secret to everything. 
It is. Make make uh, make rash decisions early, and then hope <laughs> that they pan out. <laughs> that is sort of that is sort of interesting. In the world of, of technology, we felt like we bet pretty early uh, for certainly for the size of the bet that we made on Ember, uh, but you guys made a, a business level bet on uh, on this technology really really early early when you surveyed the landscape. Kind of, I'm assuming knowing that it was going you're going to have to get your hands dirty. I'm curious about what kind of decision making uh, goes into that process. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think that there's a certain amount of playing, you know, playing with other uh, apps written in certain, you know, in the language. But I will say a big chunk of it, you know, I think a big chunk of what we all do in terms of choosing tech, we talk a lot about, you know, analysis and rational analysis and picking the best tool for the job. But there's a a lot of herd mentality uh, that goes on in our industry, um, and I don't necessarily think that it's all bad. I mean, I think that, you know, we look around at the people that we trust um, and the people that we've uh, we've seen do good things before and we make bets on them. So, you know, when I knew, because I knew Yehuda's work really well from Rails and I saw that this was the thing that he was focused on and passionate about, um, that was, you know, for me, um, a sign at least to, to look really deeply at, this, at that technology. You know, the, the interesting thing about the path that Ember has taken for me is it's it's turned out to be a really good fit for us from a tech perspective, but it's also been kind of an incredible voyage um, for us as a company and for me personally um, in terms of seeing this open source project grow out of nothing. Uh, and um, the values of the community, you know, really come from the values that, uh, you know, that Yehuda and Tom kind of have imbued it with from the, from those early days. So there's risk certainly in technology decisions, but there's, um, there's both kind of tech risk, but also kind of the social or community risk of, you know, what kind of people am I going to be associating myself with over the next few years? <laughs> um, and, and so that was, that was probably as much of the bet that I made hmm. early on as, you know, as the tech side of it was. So you want to em- embrace the herd mentality, just make sure you're with a really excellent herd. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I think that you need to be smart and you need to know your own business and your own needs. But, um, but I, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, the the kind of pattern matching and social cues and and so forth to try to kind of figure out what the right path to cut through a problem is. And I remember, uh, let's see, Ember Camp. What was this? 2013, 2012. 2012. 2013. Uh, no, 2013. Yeah, 2013. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Ember Camp, uh, I remember looking around and uh, coming back, I hadn't had no, uh, other than a hobby project, had no experience with Ember. And I was like, oh my gosh, people are using this. I came back and started a meetup and I was like, there are people using this in production. And we were pointing it to you specifically, uh, to your <laughs> team as sort of like, uh, do you ever do you ever feel any sort of uh, responsibility around that in terms of uh, like sort of being early to a community and being um, sort of at, at, at the front of stuff and and solving problems that people haven't solved yet? Clearly, you guys have a lot of open source contributions, and um, I'm wondering what sort of responsibility you feel versus trying to keep your business going. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I feel uh, I definitely personally feel um, a. I don't know if I would describe it as responsibility. And it's funny, you know, right before the show, we were talking about kind of responsibility and fatherhood or parenthood. And, um, and that's real responsibility, right? <laughs> you know, when I think about the Ember community, uh, certainly at this point, like if, if we were to completely disappear tomorrow, you know, 
the Amber community would be fine. And I think that's true for pretty much everybody in the community, which is, you know, a testament to the to where how far we've gotten. Back in the early days, you know, certain there certainly was more of, hey, we're, you know, uh, we're carving this path out and to the extent that we can kind of show people the successful way through the woods, like that's going to help us not be the only one in the woods, uh, which will help us not be eaten by a bear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so I think that we, we've done a lot of that. And, you know, and in fact, we reached, you know, some of you know, we reached a crossroads in our business um, kind of between the, the port, the, our series seed and our series, what would have been our series A, where we had a choice to make about raising more money um, or figuring out another way to take the business forward. And because of the, the kind of interaction that we were having with the Ember community, particularly here in New York, we decided to fund the company through Ember Consulting instead of um, going out and taking more VC money. Um, and and that that has certainly changed the tone a lot. So from you know at before that we were helping people just kind of for free at meetups, um, you know, on the side when we could. Uh, and then we were able to turn that into still doing the for free at meetups on the side when we could, but also adding to that, um, you know, in, on a, in a really focused professional way uh, on a you know day-to-day basis. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I feel responsibility in, in various kinds, but more than anything, it's driven by, at this point, uh, you know, a passion for the community and the ecosystem to grow and um, be what it, uh, you know, be the best that it can be and what it's uh, obviously kind of, uh, is meant to be like, that's the cool thing about Ember today. I feel like is we all have this shared kind of vision of what the community needs, um, and what, how the community works and how the ecosystem works. Uh, and so a lot of the choices of what to do next and how to approach a problem, um, are, are almost obvious because of that shared vision. Yeah. And so, and I would say also it, um, you talk about sort of your shifting role using your position in the in the community as instead of individualized, you know, piece of advice that you would give, like, uh, and I noticed this early on too, that our meetups were more like support groups where like, hey, how do I do this? Uh, this isn't documented. What do I do? That stuff is largely solved. There's like, you know, screencasting community and there's like all kinds of stuff springing up around that. And that moves the level, you know, that, that raises all boats somewhat. And so it seems like your contribution largely, uh, certainly uh, Yap Labs is, is known for uh, a lot of open source stuff. A big thing that you're working on recently is the Ember CLI deploy stuff. And I wanted to talk about that because I was, I think personally, I was more excited. Everybody was talking about the Glimmer engine on uh, on uh, Hacker News or whatever. But my, the announcement of the day that I was most excited by was the Ember CLI deploy project uh, because it, it told me a lot about the community. So do you want to tell me a little bit about where that came from and you know how there's one ring to rule them all now or you know like how does that, how did that happen? Absolutely. Um, let me take let me take you all back a little bit um, to give you the context because it's actually this this particular story has been a really cool uh, open source experience for me. Um, so you know, back in the early days of of Ember, um, we like most other people uh, using Ember, we're using we're using Ruby build tools to kind of build our project, particularly stuff built around Rake pipeline. So that was like one aspect, but what we we didn't have any solution of how to deploy this these built assets, and so we used the Rails asset pipeline to kind of package that that stuff up and deploy it along with the rest of our website and our API. 
And every time we would deploy would take us, you know, about five minutes because that's kind of how long a Rails deploy takes to, you know, ship stuff up to Heroku in our case and, um, you know, run one one set of servers uh, in parallel uh, to, you know, while the other one's warming up and then flip it over and et cetera, et cetera. So that got really old really fast when we were doing deploys that all they consisted of was changes to CSS or JavaScript. Um, and we were waiting five minutes to deploy that to production. It was just, you know, a re- really super frustrating, um, slow feedback cycle. And, you know, as, as you guys all know, a huge part of um, being productive in software engineering is like figuring out how to shorten your feedback cycle and kind of at every level of your software development experience. And so we started talking uh, within the team, um, you know, about how to tackle that. And we were hanging out with Eric Brin one day and he would say, you know, at Square, they do this cool thing where they kind of deploy these um, assets and you can uh, add a query string to the URL and kind of see the next version of your uh, of your you know, JavaScript app in production before your users see it. And so we thought that was super cool. And so we implemented um, in Ruby, still with Rake Pipeline, tools to do that kind of deployment where you know, essentially we take our assets, build them, ship them directly up to S3, take our HTML file, we ship it into a database that's in the back of our, behind our Rails app, in this case, a Redis database. And then we serve that HTML directly out of Rails. And so we have no need to do a deploy to our Rails server. We have no need to restart our Rails server. And this took, you know, on our team, it took this five-minute process down to about a 15-second process. And that was huge. It was huge just for the our own kind of personal quality of life. And so then in 2014, um, in April, I, uh, I had submitted, or May, somewhere around there, I had submitted a talk to RailsConf. Um, about this idea, and uh, they accepted it. And so I went, this is my first time speaking at RailsConf, and I was pretty excited about it. Uh, and I shared just kind of conceptually um, how we were doing this. I you know, pointed to our Ruby source code repo, which was not particularly well documented, and, at this, and also was Ruby built tools, which we were trying to get away from as a community. But that's kind of what we had at the moment. Um, and the reception was great. Uh, the, those slides got shared a lot. And what, but the coolest part was kind of what happened next, which was a whole bunch of different people in the Ember community started taking these ideas and running with them, building libraries around them, experimenting with them on their own apps. Um, they were impl- you know, implementations using Grunt, implementations using you know, standalone JavaScript libraries. Eventually, there came to be implementations using Ember CLI as Ember CLI kind of came on the scene. And so you know, about a year later, EmberConf 2015 is coming coming around, and so I submitted a talk about deployment. And my the feedback from the EmberConf organizers, uh, from Leia in particular, was, "Hey, um, I know you, you gave a great talk at RailsConf. Like, is this talk going to be any different?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I think it's going to be different because there's all these now these all these open source implementations, and my plan for the talk is I'm going to go and evaluate them, and I'm going to you know give some feedback about kind of which which ones do which things well, and kind of you know." how you should make the decision as a team. So in preparing for the talk, I started to do that evaluation process and I realized that, you know, there were a lot of there's a lot of redundant work happening. And which was fine, you know, it was it was that's kind of part of the experimentation process and trying to figure out what the right API was. But I decided to um, see if I could get everybody together, the people that were working on these kind of Ember CLI based 
deployment solutions that supported the you know the kind of deployment approach that I described. And so we got um, a conference call together in a matter of like 48 hours, which was probably the most impressive part of the whole thing, <laughs> uh, because it was Aaron Chambers, who's in London, uh, level boss Mike uh, Michael Klein, uh, who's in Austria, I believe. Sam Selikoff, who was in San Diego at the time, and uh, Ryan Toronto and I were both in New York. Uh, and so we managed to pull this pull this uh, conference call together, you know, Google Hangout, and um, and I just said, hey, here's what I've been doing. I've been looking at this. Um, you know, what do you guys think about joining forces on this? And everybody just immediately said, like, absolutely, that makes perfect sense. That's going to be so much clearer for the community. You know, everybody, you know, to a man, everybody in the call said, hey, it's actually, that was actually something that I had in the back of my head, but I just hadn't, you know, kind of hadn't had time to reach out and pull it together. And so we decided, you know, on the spot within kind of 10 minutes of starting to chat with each other that um, we were going to combine forces. And I reached out to Steph and Steph said, hey, let's put it under the Ember CLI umbrella. And so within, you know, a few minutes uh, that day of, of pulling everybody together, Ember CLI slash Ember CLI de- deploy was born. So you created the five families of, of Ember deployment, and now it's a vast international conspiracy to <laughs> deploy your, your Ember applications. Totally. And, and what's awesome about it, too, is like all these people, um, you know, every, all these developers who are working on these different projects went from working on one kind of side project solo to working with a team of awesome developers from around the world, you know, on essentially the same project that they were working on before. But now they have four people to help them. The, and then this team is already just in the few weeks that we've been involved in this process has gotten really tight, you know, like we we were so like as mentioned before we were starting this call talking about parenthood you know i talk with aaron um and with dan schultz and you know about the, the joys of fatherhood and balancing open source and parenthood and that's that's kind of part of the ember cli deploy team and process so it's it's really cool i do i do feel like in a lot of ways like brandon as you were alluding to it's kind of a microcosm of the ember community um in a you know and kind of highlights some of its best features mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I want to I want to talk about that before before we end the call. But I want to dive into the project itself a little bit um, because uh, I remember watching your talk last year at at RailsConf and sitting there marveling at the technical achievement uh, that you you had created by uh, using the the tools at your disposal by using the fragments of HTML and Redis and uh, all this cool stuff. And I was like, for super lightning fast deploys, and and I remember everybody talking about how it was one of the coolest things they saw there. And feeling like, well, I'll never be able to do that. Like, I'm just not, you know, I'm not that uh, capable from an ops perspective. And then this week, I watched Stanley uh, using it, and he and his feedback to me was uh, largely largely about how easy it was. So, I, I Stanley, I don't know if you want to share a little bit of your experience on on using it and um, and ask about where where we're headed with it technically. I feel like there's something wrong with it because it's a node based tool and it just worked, and I didn't have to like. What's with eight million <laughs> environment variables? So, uh, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll back to the so. drawing board. <laughs> yeah, we'll accept PRs to make it more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we just got it set up on Heroku. We're using Heroku's uh, Redis to Go thing, so you get five megs for free, and it was really cool to just deploy it from my laptop and then from CI is. I uh, wrote a little wrapper script to use the Redis URL, but it, it was just super great. Just worked. 
the code to implement that. Uh, it's a this API is currently a Node project, so it was uh, just a few lines of code because we're using uh, IOJS, so we get generators and stuff like that. Nice. Um, so it just worked. It was great. I, you know, I don't have much more to say than that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good testimonial. The Does, um, did, sorry, can I ask a question? So, that, and and uh, Stanley, you were kind of using the the same technique that um, Luke outlined in uh, the the talk using using Redis and stuff. Were there like I, I remember from the talk at EmberConf, there were a bunch of different use cases that were all kind of wrapped under the same umbrella. Like, how hard was it to unify all of those and kind of present a a single interface from the command line, but you know, and be able to encompass some pretty radically different deployment scenarios, or all of them basically the same? No, it's a great question because you know the the approach that that I outlined and that we use and that you know Stanley just implemented, I think is an awesome approach. And obviously, I wouldn't be kind of you know, out there promoting it if I didn't. Um, but it's not, it certainly not, it's not the only way to deploy an Ember app. And Ember CLI deploy aims not to be um, super opinionated about that. I mean, we know that lots of teams have lots of different backends and lots of different deployment needs. Um, and we, we want that this project to be able to be flexible enough to accommodate, you know, a given team's needs. Uh, and so, the approach that Ember CLI de deploy has today, and then what it's moving to really over the next kind of few weeks, are slightly different. Today, there's kind of an adapter approach where we say that there's an adapter for uh, deploying assets, so that's your JavaScript and your CSS and your images. There's an adapter for deploying your index, which is your HTML. Um, and then there's a, a tagging adapter, um, and I think that's I think those are the three right now. What we're moving to is a model where we out we describe this more as a deployment pipeline, and we have a, a plugin architecture where plugins can implement one or more parts of this deployment pipeline. And so the, the three phases of the pipeline are going to be um, build, upload, uh, and activate. And so um, and each of those steps will have kind of before, you know, so in other words, like before build, before upload, before activate, as well as um, after build, after activate, uh, after upload, and then the, the steps themselves, build, upload, activate. Um, and so th that series of hooks, along with a will deploy and did deploy at the beginning and end, um, we think is going to be enough to accommodate a really wide variety of deployment styles, um, as well as accommodate uh, this particular style really well. And so that's the architecture that we're moving to. We've been um, kind of hashing it out amongst the team and collecting some really great feedback on GitHub. Um, still open to that feedback for folks who are you know, listening to this relatively near the air date. But uh, that's the path. The goal is you know, very similar to the way Ember CLI and add-ons work to have a Ember CLI deploy that presents a kind of um, core unified command line interface where you're typing Ember deploy, you have a standard way to do configuration around the deployments, but then you're able to pull in your own plugins, which would be packaged as Ember CLI add-ons. So super easy to install. Everybody knows how to do it already. And then uh, just, you know, pull those things in and you're off to the races. So Man, that's that's fantastic, and all this. It, and if I understand correctly, all this came out uh, because of a deadline for your talk at uh, EmberConf. Yeah, you know, it, it really. I was I was thinking <laughs> like, about that recently. It's, it's incredible true. how it just feeds into itself. Yeah, I think that there's you know. So you guys probably know I'm the I organized the New York City Ember meetup, 
Um, and there is, a, you know, I'm a big believer in the power of uh, events to catalyze everything, right? So in this particular case, you know, the fact that I had this talk to give catalog, you know, made me finally like dig into all these various implementations um, and help pull everybody together. In the case of the RailsConf talk in the first place, it made me for the first time, besides just whiteboarding it for a few people here and there, pull it into a, you know, consumer, pull the ideas into a consumable format. Uh, and then in the case of just kind of the relationships that get uh, they get formed at a lot of these events, that, that speaks for itself. And, and you all know the power of that. Um, so I think events do a tremendous amount in the community. It's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, why I spend a bunch of time in New York uh, trying to keep that going. So what you're saying is that you have uh, proposals out for many more conference talks to motivate you for further uh, I think you may be a little oversubscribed at this point, actually. Uh, to be honest, I'm just, I just wrapped up kind of the stuff that I have on my calendar and I feel so relieved. <laughs> <laughs> I was just in your hometown in Austin for South by Southwest a couple of weeks ago. Um, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I heard that went really well. It was more of an intro level talk about uh, kind of pitching Ember to general a more general audience. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. It was the first time that I had addressed a non-Ember kind of audience in a while. Um, and so, it, you know, so you get to kind of have the experience of telling the Ember story to people who are developers, but who don't necessarily know what's going on in, in our world. Um, and man, the story is so good. The, you know, the whole, uh, the whole kind of pitch about the kind of decentralized nature of Ember and, um, you know, the people on the, on the core team be supporting production Ember apps as part of their own work. Um, and the approach that the team is taking to Ember 2.0, all of that really resonated with the folks who have been involved in you know, other communities, um, the kind of convention over configuration and commoditizing the common solutions to our problems really resonated. And the, um, the demo, I did the same demo that Ed Faulkner did with of Liquid Fire uh -huh. um, at, at EmberConf and people's jaws just like went to the ground. <laughs> it, was pretty, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that the idea that you could take these ideas and concepts that are super advanced and look, look amazing and look like apps from the, you know, the near future and go, no, 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 you just build this with the tools that are in this toolkit right here. And you have a whole community of people supporting that. I, I looked at your, your talk as the deploy pipeline of the future. And I was like, and, and it felt unattainable. And now suddenly it's attainable. Um, yes. And uh, there, it, there's something about that that speaks to the, the the power of kind of aligning with the community. If, like you said earlier, if that community you find yourself sort of philosophically aligned with, otherwise you're going to wind up fighting it a bunch. But if if it's something that you're like, okay, those are the those are the problems that I that I feel are the most important problems to solve. You can kind of disagree uh, with your community community on uh, the best way to implement a solution for that. I think if you share. Uh, a set uh, like a general sense of what the what the biggest problems are. Um, mm -hmm. Those are those wind up being productive discussions as opposed to people feeling like they're you know like if somebody in the Ember community jumped up and said, "Hey, I think the most important uh, problem we need to solve is this needs to be composed of tiny sub five kilobyte modules and it needs to be <laughs> more more modular and more uh, micro library oriented." I don't I don't think that that would be a productive discussion. <laughs> Yeah, totally agree. I think that, you know, to the extent that you're aligned with values and also, you know, I think that one of the values of the Ember community is about 
and this was evident in the Ember CLI deploy process, it's about kind of um, ego and about kind of sub, you know being willing to subjugate your e ego for the better for the betterment of the community. And I think that that's that's kind of just an interesting interesting aspect of it. Like there's a lot. I think that there's a lot of what I you know refer to as like servant leadership uh, in this in this community. People who um, you know really like value the community. It's a you know a mutually beneficial relationship where they're doing work that they love and you know getting paid well to do it. Uh, but they give back a tremendous amount, and they are willing to not necessarily be in the spotlight. Um, to do that. And I think that that's, uh, it's, it's a pretty cool aspect of things. Yeah, totally. Agree. Do you have any, do you have any advice for someone who might be running a, a side project for, for trying to kind of discover and, uh, coalesce, uh, some, and, and, uh, you know, find some shared solution that there's a pain point that might not be recognized yet. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one of the things is, you know, without is, giving a conference talk. Right. Well, I was actually going to suggest meetup talks and, you know, meetup talks are uh, way more attainable than a conference talk. Um, you know, we do um, at like a lot of a lot of meetups do uh, lightning talks where it's like a sub 10 minute talk. And part of my role as a meetup organizer is like cajoling and convincing people to do talks uh, and, you know, convincing somebody to do a, a lightning talk. Even somebody who's never done a talk before is um, is not that hard. It takes takes usually prodding somebody five or six times. <laughs> um, and, and universally people are like thrilled that they've actually taken that step and given, you know, and, and got, done their first talk and they've got that under their belt. I know we, I was talking with Ray Tiley at EmberConf and, you know, Ray's been doing great stuff in this community. Um, and he told me, he's, you know, it has never done a beat up talk yet. And I said, what, you know, so he's going to come down in New York to New York hopefully soon and, and get that notch in his belt. But, but I think that the, the reason for doing that is because you need to get the awareness both about the problem and the solution out there if you've got a, you've got a side project. And, you know, in a lot of ways, the, the RailsConf talk that I gave was as much about the problem as it was about the solution. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of raised awareness. And like you were saying, Brandon, like, wow, this is awesome, but like, I'm not, I can't do this. And so then you know, a year later, now there's, now it's a talk about and publicity, you know, publicity about a solution. So the nobody cares about. I guess the the point is, if I think about it, is like nobody cares about your solution until they know that they have identified that they have a problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's so. Sell first. So it's kind of step one: sell the problem. Step two: sell the solution. Sometimes you can do that in one talk, and then sometimes it's you know you need to do it over the series of many months. Huh. That's interesting. That's sort of organically how uh, when you grow a small community, you wind up talking about these shared problems just because somebody, the first person to admit that it's a problem is the person that everybody else goes, oh my gosh, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and and you go, oh, wait a minute. I think we may have laid hold of a, a, a shared problem here. And as you describe it more uh, more in detail and you start drawing out the common details of, of these shared problems, I think you're exactly right. Um, and for you guys, it was the act of having to do this over and over again and looking at the commonalities. And then you start talking to other people in similar situations and you draw similarities and you can start drawing some conclusions about what a larger community needs. Um, yes. it's, it's really cool to see that have happened. Clearly, this is a very different community than when uh, you kind of helped kickstart it a couple of years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, mean I, I remember being, you know, being a young developer before I really was aware that there was such a thing as community, right? And I was, it was back in, back in the kind of .NET, my .NET days, and I would like go to Microsoft events and, 
you know, not a lot of people talk to each other. Um, and there was, there was not kind of the sense that we're in it together. There was more of a sense of like, oh, like, let's see what Microsoft has for us today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even, even in those days, like those moments, especially as a young developer, where you start to describe the, the things that you're banging your head against and you find somebody else who has the same problem and you feel, wow, I, like, it's not just that I suck. Right. <laughs> Do you it's just want like to cry? A, like, oh my gosh, it's not me. Well, yeah, no. I mean, I you know I wouldn't want to cry, but it was like just kind of very. It changes your perspective instantly mm-hmm. once you find somebody else is struggling with the same thing you are. You're no longer alone, right? You no longer feel totally dumb, and so. And I think that you know, I I now obviously like I take that for granted that if I'm having trouble, it's probably, you know, I don't know, 80% of chance. It's not, I'm not the only person who would have trouble with this, but back in those days, like I, I was not that aware of that. And so to those moments, and again, kind of the power of events and, and just kind of providing space as an event, as event organizers, providing space for people just to chat, right. Just to share war stories can be super powerful for people and kind of instantly change perspective and instantly open the door for, well, well, what, you know, what kind of, what solutions could there be here? And, you know, is that something that we can collaborate on? That's awesome, man. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for all the, all the work you do for the community and for um, taking time away from your family to do stuff like that. Um, And, and I know, like you said, it's, it's a balance between trying to benefit a community, run a business, you know, hold a family together. I think a lot of people can relate to, to the difficulty of, of some of that. So Stanley started this sort of tradition uh, when we bring guests on and of basically ambushing them with a question at the end of the podcast about <laughs> uh, about anything in the community they'd like to give a shout out to. Uh, anything that you've seen or used lately that has, has sort of benefited one of your projects that somebody else has done. Cool. Um, the, the thing that comes to mind instantly is not necessarily a particular technology, but just a kind of a group of people that... Uh, that I think is is sort of amazing, you know. So in New York, we have a we're lucky to have a, a really awesome kind of local group of folks, including you know a few core team members and uh, just you know people using tons of people using Ember in production on you know kind of big big projects. Um, there's a group of people in the community who are not in a big city. They're not uh, in necessarily even a country where there's a lot of Ember going on. And so like, I think about people like Adolfo Builes and people like Teddy Zini, people like Joe Liss, you know, people who are um, distributed far and wide kind of internationally, but have this incredible kind of outsized impact on our community and, and you know, through their contributions. And that's that to me is just awesome. And it's just amazing that that we live in a world where we can collaborate across, you know, national boundaries, um, across company boundaries, uh, and these and these folks who I, you get to see once a year, if you're lucky, nevertheless impact our, you know, our daily existence um, in such a positive way. So I think that's probably the thing that I would just give give, give my kind of shout out to and voice of appreciation for is the awesome contributions from all the folks who are. You're, you know, not in the U.S., not in any, you know, any big cities around the world, but um, nevertheless have really uh, put themselves out there and uh, contributed so much to the community. Absolutely. Here, here on that. That's a, a terrific, uh, terrific shout out. Thank you. Um, so and thanks to those contributors from from places where they don't have yeah the same benefit we have of a community of people locally kind of cajoling you into the meetup talks, et cetera, uh, where you kind of have to bootstrap it yourself. Totally. 
All right. Well, Luke, thank you again for coming on and and, uh, and sharing this information with us. There's a, a million things we'd love to talk to you about. So we hope to have you come again and we'd love to uh, drag you back to Austin more for a more relaxed experience this time, maybe. Um, yeah, I'd love yeah. to. We'll, we'll, have to uh, we'll have to do a, a more dad-focused episode next time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, and, uh, and I think uh, Stanley is going to New York in the near future. So you'll have to, hopefully you guys will cross paths there. Absolutely. I told him we're going to organize a not a meetup event for him. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's perfect for him. <laughs> All right, Luke, thanks again. Uh, hey, appreciate thanks, your time. guys. It's been, it's been great right. to uh, spend time with you. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.